Good morning. I want to welcome you to Rivermont today and invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 as we continue our study of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And we've been looking at it through the theme of the reach of grace. How deeply does God's grace reach into our lives? Last week, we saw that we are forgiven and reconciled to the Lord. And so therefore, we are called to be reconciled reconcilers. We are people who have been reconciled by the gospel of the Lord and we no longer belong to ourselves, we belong to Him as agents of reconciliation in this world. And perhaps that challenges us deeply as a self-directed people. We saw last week that if we are not challenged to do or be or live in ways that we have not always wanted to, then perhaps we're not following as disciples of Jesus, but we're simply following the will of ourselves. And yet... The work of God's Spirit frees us from that prison to self. And He enables us to live as reconciled reconcilers, as Christ's ambassadors in this world. But you know that that ministry of reconciliation can be costly. As a minister, a preacher of the gospel, it can be costly emotionally, physically, spiritually. It can be difficult to pursue a ministry of reconciliation. It was true for Paul, as we see in this text. It's true for ministers, and it's true for all of us. Pursuing reconciliation is sometimes costly. And he gives us a picture in this text of what that costly ministry may look like in us and through us. What do we see? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Paul said, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we study these words today, your spirit and your life would be at work within us so that we may be reconciled reconcilers. That we may have open hearts to one another and to this world. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've never read the poetry of George Herbert, start today. Go home this afternoon, find it on the internet, and read some poetry of Herbert. He was a a Welshman born to a wealthy family in the late 1500s. He was given a wonderful education, spent some time in Parliament, and then left it behind to to the disappointment of his family and became an Anglican minister. A hazard of ministerial life is often disappointing the people you love. 
And yet the Lord called Herbert to leave so much of his former life behind and serve a small country parish near Salisbury, England in the early 1600s. Not only was Herbert a minister, but he was also a poet. And perhaps his most famous collection is called The Temple, which uses some images of church buildings as a metaphor for the Christian life. These poems are terrific devotional literature. And one poem in particular helps us to understand 2 Corinthians 6. The poem is called The Windows. And it's a meditation on stained glass windows in church buildings that tell us the story of the gospel. And he lays alongside that image of stained glass windows in a building that we are windows also through whom God's ministry of reconciliation goes forth. You can see God's work. You can see God's ministry in the lives of his people as if you're looking through a window to read the story of the gospel in someone else's life. I'm going to read this brief poem to you. Herbert wrote, Lord, how can man preach thy eternal word? He is a brittle, crazy glass. Yet in thy temple thou dost him afford this glorious and transcendent place to be a window through thy grace. But when thou dost anneal in glass thy story, making thy life to shine within thy holy preachers, Then the light and glory more reverend grows and more doth win, which else shows watrish, bleak, and thin. Doctrine and life, colors and light in one when they combine and mingle, bring a strong regard and awe. But speech alone doth vanish like a flaring thing and in the ear, yet not conscience ring. Herbert is saying is what Paul has been arguing for the first six chapters of this book, that we are brittle jars of clay. We are brittle, crazy glass, as Herbert says. And as we struggle and we pursue and we we live our lives for reconciliation in this world, it may feel costly. And yet we become beautiful windows through whom people experience the powerful life of Christ in us. The power of God is set on display as people look through the window into our lives. But what particularly? What Paul says here, it's a a life poured out, or verses 3 and 4, as he calls it, a life of great endurance. It was a great endurance of love in the face of criticism and critique and attack and slander. And yet he continued to love so that these people might not experience God's grace in vain but respond so that grace does its work among this congregation. You may remember that the people of Corinth, as we've studied before, were relentless in their criticism of Paul. He didn't match their expectations. They said he was not smooth like a public rhetorician. And so they said he can't preach. They said he wasn't a handsome man. So they said you're not worth paying attention to. They said you suffer. And so God clearly is not blessing you. He's not with you if you're suffering. They said of him that you're only in this for yourself. You're only seeking to build a reputation for yourself. This is all about your ego, Paul, they charged. So we're not going to listen to you. Paul's response was, look through the window. Look at my life that is poured out. A great endurance of love as evidence of the life of Christ reaching out to you to be reconciled. And the same can be true for us. 
when we find reconciliation exceedingly difficult. Perhaps you feel attacked. Maybe you feel insufficient in your attempt to love someone. Or you may be rejected in your desire to speak the truth of the Lord Jesus or live out the gospel before a friend or a family member or a neighbor. Maybe you feel attacked as you seek to testify in the public square to the truth of the Lord. Maybe you violate the the culture's expectations of who you are supposed to be. Ministry of reconciliation can be a costly ministry. And yet Paul here calls us to a great endurance. A great endurance because verse 3 roots the remainder of this section in the truth that we are servants of God. It's the bedrock truth of this whole section. We are servants of God. And that's a genitive either of possession, meaning we're servants belonging to God, or of source, meaning servants from God. Either way, we understand that phrase. It communicates we don't go in our strength. We're not appealing in our power. We're not even going on our initiative. We're not going to try to make people like us more. But rather, we go to pursue reconciliation as servants of God. God making appeal to this world. God making appeal to others through us. We belong to Him. And ultimately, we find our strength for this costly ministry of reconciliation rooted in that truth. That we are servants of God. As we walk through the remainder of this text, we're going to ask a few questions. And the first is, what might we be called to endure as we seek to be living windows for whom God makes His appeal. What do we see? Well, Paul lists some triads for us, and they begin in verse 4. We may face trials in general, verse 4 says, afflictions, hardships, and calamities. You know that part of living in a world that's broken, a world of death, looks like general difficulty and general trouble sometimes, affliction and hardship and calamity. It may come at the hands of other people also, verse 5 through beatings, imprisonments, or riots. If you read through the book of Acts, you see this happening to Paul over and over and over again. He was physically assaulted. He was emotionally assaulted for seeking to follow after what the Lord called him to do and to be as an agent of reconciliation. Now, perhaps you have not experienced that in your own life, but it is happening in this world. As a matter of fact, there is a minister in our presbytery. His name is Andrew Brunson. And Andrew is a member of Christ Community Church down in Montreat, North Carolina, a member of our presbytery, and he is ministering in Turkey. If you read the October 15th issue of Christianity Today, you may have seen that Andrew Brunson was recently arrested in Turkey. He was rounded up with the, as the, the government arrested a whole lot of people. Andrew is facing some false and yet very very serious charges. And yet his prayers, as he's through others requested, come back to us as a presbytery, has been, may my faith and my life be more radiant in prison than they were in freedom. He's living as a window through beatings and imprisonments and riots. So that through him, through his life, through his calamity, through his imprisonment, the life of Christ might be seen in him and seen through him. The final triad here, well, before I move on, pray for Andrew. Please devote some time to pray for our brother 
that the Lord would indeed use him in his imprisonment. That the message and the life of Christ can be seen in him. Pray for his survival. But more than that, pray for Jesus' life to be seen through Andrew. That's what he would ask for our churches to pray. The final triad here is more internal to Paul in verse 5. It speaks of labors and sleepless nights in hunger. He worked himself into exhaustion. He often went without in order to serve as an agent of reconciliation. And at times it led to sleeplessness, either because of the activity, he didn't have time to sleep, or had that great sense of burden, he couldn't sleep, out of burden and care for God's people. Now, why would Paul lay out all of these things that he's suffering as he's pursuing this ministry of reconciliation? He's laying it out because his life is a window through which we get a glimpse of the God who pursues. It's through his life of endurance that we see that as a servant of God, we belong to him and we see a picture of the God who pursues us. And as we become instruments of that Redeemer in this world, you and I may be called upon to suffer, to endure in a similar manner to the way our Redeemer suffered and endured. Surely as we look at the Lord Jesus, we see how He endured incredible affliction and hardship and calamity, especially in growing to the cross. Surely we would recognize His floggings and the beatings that he received on the road to Calvary or having our sin laid upon him as he was on the cross, surely we can see his love and his endurance of pursuing you and me. Surely we can see his life of love laid down that we might be pursued to be reconciled to God. And it may be, friends, that you and I might be called to follow a similar path, a dying to self in order to pursue another in reconciliation. That they may see and experience the life of Christ in you. Herbert's poem, the second stanza, he said, When thou dost anneal in glass thy story, making thy life to shine within, he's pointing us to what Paul is describing here. He's talking about a technique where the glass was annealed. In those days, the way stained glass was made is the glass was, was made and then they would paint the color on the glass and then put it in a furnace so that because the glass was heated, the color would stick. The color would stay. The story would be able to be seen in the glass because it had been in the furnace. It was annealed. The same is so often true of us. The fire of the furnace of suffering so often becomes the means by which the story of God's love and His forgiveness and His pursuit and His power can be experienced through you. Often it's through hardship that people look through your life and see a pursuing God. As you suffer and you struggle, as you die to self, the life of Jesus can be seen in you. It's what we are called to endure, but how? How are we called to endure? Paul answers that question in verses 6 and 7. First, he speaks of the manner of our endurance, and then he talks about the means or the strength for endurance. Well, how do we do it? First, by the manner, verse 6, in purity, which points to a devotion, a sincere devotion to Jesus. 
that church in Corinth had been shaped by false leaders and teachers who layered on those people in Corinth their expectations. It really didn't have anything to do with the Bible. It didn't have anything to do with God's word or God's command. It was their cultural expectation. And they layered that on top of the people and said, you must do God's word, but you almost also must do what we expect of you. For example, he said, if God is with you, then your life must be materially successful. You're not going to suffer. Well, that's clearly not what God's word teaches, is it? And Paul says, break that pattern of those false expectations in purity by living according to God's commands and not the culture's commands. Our endurance calls us sometimes to stick out from the culture. Perhaps our lives tell a different story than the story the culture is living around us. And no set of human expectations of a culture govern our lives, whether they're conservative or liberal expectations, Republican or Democrat expectations. Commitment to God's word governs our lives. And at some point, it cuts across every set of human culture and expectation, no matter what group you align yourself with. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, God's word will cut across it all and call us to a better way. He calls us to purity, that is, sincere devotion to Christ, which sometimes puts us out of step with our culture around us, the people around us. Further, he says, we endure with knowledge, verse 6. And in the context of 2 Corinthians, Paul uses this word as more than simple content, but rather it's more a personal knowledge of the risen Lord Jesus and his gospel. Specifically, Paul is using this as kind of shorthand language to remind us that we pursue ministry of reconciliation because we know the God who has reconciled us to himself. Because we have been pursued by Jesus, we pursue others. Because we have been loved, we pour out our lives in love. Because we have been reconciled to God, we pursue reconciliation for others. That's the bedrock. Who God is for us forms the bedrock of our ability to step into another person's life. Even when, especially when, it may feel like you're stepping into enemy territory. We pursue because we have been pursued. And when there are times when you don't really have a clear expectation that you're going to be heard or that you may not be approved, you might not be loved in return, we remember in knowledge that we once were enemies of the Lord Jesus and he stepped into our lives. We once were enemies of the Lord. We once were enemies of the cross. And that gospel life has brought our dead hearts to life. And that can shape the gentleness with which we pursue others in the knowledge of who we were and who we are now. The manner of our going is rounded out in verse 6 with the reminder that we go in patience and kindness. Going in patience speaks of a calm while we wait. We can't demand that someone respond. We can't demand that someone be reconciled. We can't expect that another person hop to our point of view right away. But instead we pursue and endure in patience. Believing that the the Lord is at work in kindness through a generous spirit rather than a condemning spirit. Does that match your manner of life? Does that match the manner of how you endure and speak and pursue others in reconciliation 
to the Lord. Well, beyond speaking to us of manner, Paul also talks about the means. Where does the power come from to endure? He continues in verse 6. We endure by the Spirit, he says. That resurrection life of Jesus has taken root in your heart as the Spirit does His work and He enables us to endure. You see, change is not a fundamentally human enterprise. Neither is endurance in difficulty. The ministry of reconciliation isn't governed by having the right words or the right plan or simply the right expectations, but instead it is a supernatural work done by the Spirit of God, and it is His supernatural life in us that is experienced as we are windows. His strength is seen in our weakness. It is the Spirit of God who empowers us to endure when we are attacked. And and He continues in verse 6 with the chief mark of the Spirit of God, and that is genuine love. It is His presence of love in you that fuels your life of love. It is the loving Spirit of God taking up residence within your, within your soul that enables you to give your life away for the good of others. But if you have the motive of your endurance to be, you're going to be successful. Or if your motive is how well you're going to be received or how you feel about it, then your endurance is going to run short. I promise. The means of Enduring is to draw continually from the well of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Spirit brings up, bubbles up within your soul. And then you can give your life away. Because the life of reconciliation is not, I'll pursue you if I'm sure that you're going to love me back. That's not how we were pursued. But rather, I'll pursue in love because I have been loved by Jesus already. I have been loved when I deserve just the opposite. So I will seek to love you as well. The means are by the Spirit in that genuine love that the Spirit produces within us. And then verse 7, through the truth and the power of God, which are the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. Literally, he says, the word of truth is what we have to offer, but it goes side by side with with love. Love and truth go together and these are weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. We go with word of truth spoken and yet evidenced by a life of love. Those two things go together. Speech alone only goes so far. But when the words that you say come from a life of love, the power of God is set on display. When the words that come out of your mouth match the manner of your life, the love in your life, people see Christ in you. They look through you as a window to see a Lord Jesus who desires change through truth and love. How are you going to endure in this ministry of reconciliation? We do it by using His means, but by also appealing to His power. His life at work within us, enabling us to do abundantly more than all we could ever ask or imagine. We've seen the what, and we've seen the how, but finally at the end of this text, Paul models for us a little bit about how he handles the criticism, how he handles the attack. How are you going to survive the accusations when you're called to endure sometimes? Paul says, we survive by clinging to the gospel. When the attacks come, get verse eight. 
It says we are treated as imposters. Do you hear that accusation? You're a phony. God doesn't love you. Your love for us isn't real. We are treated as imposters, yet are true. It literally says our lives are governed by the truth of the word. The false leaders can accuse them that you don't meet our expectations. They can say it all day long, and yet it is God's word that governs Paul's life. He's going back to the truth of the gospel. He says we are unknown, yet well known. They accuse him of being unknown. You're a no count. You're not important. You don't matter to anybody. But the gospel truth that Paul clung to is that he's well known to his father. He is beloved. He is known by God himself. And that enables him to endure in love in the face of being told you don't matter. He says, we are dying and behold, we live. Yes, his life is full of suffering and it looks like death. But in reality, they are alive because Christ is alive within them. That's the gospel truth of the spirit's life enabling us to truly die to self. And to die to the expectations of the culture around them. Because we are alive in Christ. We are new creations. We're sorrowful. Yet always rejoicing. You're, you're poor. You have nothing. And yet making many rich. Do you hear these, these gospel strategies? Paul is saying that meet the accusation head on with the promises of the gospel of Jesus. The power of his life in us as his temple. His body. And that's how we endure the attacks. Another's accusation doesn't tell the story of your life. Jesus tells the story of your life in the gospel. His life is annealed in you. Formed by the heat and the struggle of this life. And as you endure, it can be seen. To sum it up, Paul is saying this. In order to survive this ministry of reconciliation that calls for your life to be poured out, you're going to have to be continually reminded of the life that's poured in. It is the life of Jesus by the Spirit that is poured into you. And the degree to which we hang on to what is poured in will govern how well we can be poured out. The degree to which you hang on to the truth of the life of Christ poured into you by the Spirit, the degree to which your eyes are focused on that Jesus who's poured into you will govern how well you can be poured out for somebody else. How well do you know the Lord who is being poured into you? Paul ends in verse 11. His life of love is laid bare and he calls him to love in return. That's the ministry. We lay down our lives of love as, as stained glass windows. Lives stained by the crimson blood of Jesus. So that His life can be seen in us and through us. Be reconciled to this Lord of love. Is what our lives are about. So I ask you. When the world looks at you. Or when the world looks through you. Whose story do they see in the glass of your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you have given us the story of the gospel and we have the privilege of seeing that story of the gospel in one another's lives as well. What a joy to be able to look around this congregation and see you in the lives of brothers and sisters.
We pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us and use us as agents of your reconciliation, both inside the church and outside in the world, that the world might know the compelling love of the Lord Jesus. Use us as these windows that you may be seen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.